Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Health technology is continually being improved, lengthening the life expectancy worldwide. With people living longer, middle-aged Americans are facing new challenges from an unexpected place, or at least unexpected just a few years ago. Labeled the sandwich generation, they are the more than half of Americans aged 40 to 59 that have both an elderly parent and are caring for a child. Faced with the stress and financial pressures of helping both their parents and their children, these adults are left with little time to care for their own needs or lead the life they may have originally envisioned. The Sandwich Generation is our discussion today, and we'd like to hear from you. I'll give you the phone number and uh, email address in just a moment. Our guest, Dr. Linda Rhodes, former Pennsylvania Secretary of Aging and author of The Essential Guide for Caring for Aging Parents. Dr. Rhodes, welcome to the program. Hi, Scott. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And also, Joan Kretschmer, who is Executive Director and Geriatric Care Manager at Jewish Family Services in New York. Ms. Kretschmer, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. As I said, this is one of those programs where we know there are many, many people out there who are in this situation. And I guarantee that if you're not living in this situation, you know someone who who is, just because it is so widespread. And we'd like to hear your story your experiences, if you have questions for our guests, uh, this is directed mostly at the caregivers, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Linda Rhodes, let me start with you. Um, You know, you and I have talked about this uh, many times over the years, and it continually changes, though. The numbers just seem to get bigger and bigger. When hearing about the statistics, the number of families that are in this situation Uh, You know, this is not out of the ordinary anymore. What changed? Well, I I think a number of things have changed. I mean, uh, certainly part of it is the lifespan of older people. And so now that we're seeing people that can easily live into their 90s or uh, celebrate their 100-year-old birthday, um, that part has increased. So then, as a result, family members um, at different age levels are finding themselves not only caring for an older parent, but also for children as well. So you're finding now, I think, um, the National Alliance of Family Caregiving has talked about figures showing that the average uh, uh, person providing care, especially in the sandwich generation, is 49 years old, and they're also raising teenagers, and so they'll have, you know, their children actually still at home. On the other hand, um, you're also finding those that are in their 50s and 70s. I think it's like 34 million people are um, taking care of someone over the age of 50 in, in this country. And so between that 50 and 70-year-old age group, those who are uh, the baby boomers who are now hitting 65 and older uh, and are considered older themselves are finding themselves taking care of parents in their 80s and 90s. and. Uh, you'll find many spouses that are in their 80s, and one of them is trying to take care of the other. So as a result, you're seeing this, you know, the so-called sandwich generation is more like a, a triple-ducker sandwich, <laughs> you know, not just a classic, you know, two, two you know, ends to it. Um, and so as a result, um, you're, you're finding that because people are living longer, they want to live independently, uh, we're, you know, so most of that care is being provided in the home. Uh, you know, lots of times people think, oh, well, you know, so many of our older people, they're living in assisted living or in some skilled nursing facility somewhere. But actually, that's only about 4% of the entire population. So 
all of this care um, that's really being provided for older um, individuals living in the community, that's all by families. Four percent. I, I think that is a statistic that would surprise a lot of people. Joan Kretschmer, uh, the, both of you, uh, both Linda Rhodes and Joan Kretschmer, you've been doing this for a long time. What changes have you seen over the course of your career? Well, I think that's um, very interesting. Um, as being in the field for over 30 years and still actively in the field, I would call myself somebody who works in the trenches every day. So I hear these statistics, but I always look at each individual and each family based on their unique needs. And I think we live in a vastly different world, our high-tech, fast-paced world and the demands of the workplace and a lot of economic constraints that people have that make it very, very challenging. Um, but I think first and foremost, um, I, in trying to reach out to your audience and people, uh, not only the vulnerable, vulnerable older adults, but their caregivers, I think people need to be validated and acknowledged. And I think spouses and adult children and, and the grandchildren also are often thrust into the role of a caregiver. And this is beginning of navigating an unfamiliar, psychologically demanding, and powerfully emotional territory. And so I'm here to talk a little bit more very specifically how to connect to people in terms of the role of a care manager. And it's really so important for people to know that they need not be alone as a caregiver. Each caregiver can be benefit from someone who can listen to them, who can guide them, and in essence provide them with a roadmap and a link that link them to valuable support services. Because when you're experiencing the, the statistics, they're important and it, it for social impact and policy changes. But when you're personally experiencing it, you need to know how to get help and how to get support and how to navigate the system. So if 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 you'd like, I'd like to just share a few other thoughts regarding that. Okay, well, can we hold on with that? Sure. Just because one thing I do, you brought something up that I and I want to talk to both of you about this. Is one of the things we try to do in this program often is talk about the experiences of real people. Statistics, you're right. Statistics are one thing, but what real people are going through is a totally different situation. And you know, the one thing that statistics do is they kind of paint everybody with a, a, a broad brush. And as you said, Joan, um, you know, so many people are unique. But uh, let me turn to Linda first. Linda, let's talk about uh, some of the experiences, some of the things that you've seen over the years with what caregivers are going through. Well, I think what, what Joan identified is, is absolutely, I think, one of the first things that I think families discover is that they become quickly overwhelmed and they don't realize that there are resources out there to help them. Um, oftentimes it will come in the form of a crisis where someone um, has been hospitalized, perhaps it's a broken hip, and they discover that very quickly they've got to make a choice of where their loved one's going to go for uh, rehab and you know, hopefully a short-term stay. And no one's done any research to try to figure out, well, you know, where would be a really good place for mom or dad uh, or their spouse to go. And um, they're often hit with, uh, you know, all kinds of different decisions that the family really hasn't planned on. And one of the things that I've um, always suggested to do with, um, especially in, in family uh, seminars, is to play out what-if scenarios while you're well, and um, sometimes I think that can help a family start thinking through the kinds of things that they need to do, but it, it becomes very overwhelming, um, I think, very quickly. I think people kind of get their 
toes wet in the beginning, helping their parents maybe figure out, well, um, you know, what kind of um, Medigap uh, insurance coverage they should have. Lots of times it is it's dealing with some of the financial issues. Uh, and But they find, I think, very quickly it just seems overwhelming of where do you get care or how do you hire someone to come into the home and, uh, you know, is any of this covered and, um, you know, who can, you know, can I take time off of work and am I protected for that? So it's just a whole host of questions that come um, at families uh, beyond what um, Joan had mentioned. I mean, just the emotional territory as well um, can be overwhelming, too. Well, Dr. Rhodes, just to follow up on what you're saying, uh, I would admit, you know, knowing human nature, I imagine because there are so many people who uh, didn't think of this, were unprepared for it, uh, that when the situation arises, they think they can handle it or that they may be a little bit reluctant to reach out for help because they think, oh, you know, I can handle this. It's my mom, it's my dad, and my kids, I can handle this. That, you know, that sometimes they don't want to ask for help. I, that might be, I think, a part of it, but I, I think the bigger part is they don't know there's help. Right, <laughs> you know, they right, just don't right. realize that it's out there. Or I think the other thing, too, that this is a, a whole, you know, it's a family affair. This usually isn't just an only child um, getting through all of this. It also involves siblings, and each person has a different relationship with that parent. And so uh, and, and a good number of these siblings are living out of town, and so they're, they're not, you know, on the ground all the time. And so you've got a lot of family dynamics going on very quickly and trying to make a decision. So that I think that, too, can... Um, you know, make it more challenging. John, there was a word you said before you uh, follow up on that. There was a word you said that uh, really caught my attention. Uh, you said thrust, that many families are thrust into this situation, which connotates that uh, they were unprepared. They weren't thinking about it. Most of uh, us younger people in the baby gener- uh, boom generation were thinking, well, our, our biggest challenge family-wise will be when our kids are teenagers. We'll be out of the house. The parents will be living in their homes at that time. We'll have to deal with the challenges of our teenagers that we really never anticipated dealing with the challenges of the teenagers along with the challenges, the new challenges brought on by aging parents. So that word thrust just really got my attention. Um I, I think that's um, critical here because I think office, often we're dealing in crisis situations when we're, when we're having to navigate what's going on. And, and I would just like to say that I think people, because they're overwhelmed in a crisis situation, they often become immobilized. They often don't know what questions to really ask uh, because they're in a totally new situation. They've lived in a mentality of, if I don't think about it, it's not going to happen, or um, they might pose the question to themselves, if that would happen, and really the question is when that happens or when some variation of that happens, what am I going to need to do? Communication is key. Advocacy is key. I think you'll learn the best advocacy skills if you become a care uh, a, a a caregiver and having to advocate on behalf of your family. Those skills are important skills to navigate life in general. Um, I think one example I would like to give in a situation is getting a panicked phone call from somebody is my parent was in the hospital and now they say they they can't they have to go to rehab or they have to go into a nursing home and they're getting ready to discharge them and they told me there's X, Y, and Z plates. 
Um, and it's so important to have, to be able to consult with the third party who um, is objective in this situation. Because in a hospital setting, regardless of how good that that person coordinating the discharge plans is, they work for that institution. And their ultimate goal is the discharge of that person. But where that person goes can really dictate the quality and level of care that that person received. And it's okay to say to the person coordinating the plans, well, wait a minute, we need to talk further about this. I need more information. And so those situations are just critical and key to determining the kind of care somebody receives and the support afforded to the caregiver. And I want to let our audience know that uh, this is a multimedia uh, effort on WITF's part. It's uh, part of uh, Caring for Mom and Dad. Uh, We have a number of events, uh, programs dedicated to this topic uh, over uh, the next few weeks. Uh, In fact, tonight uh, there's a Health Start on Health Smart, I should say, Health Smart Sandwiched tonight at 8 on WITF TV. Join Kira McGuire uh, taking another look at uh, caregiving. In fact, uh, Dr. Linda Rhodes is a big part of that uh, program as well. That is tonight at 8 on WITF-TV. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Our guest today, Dr. Linda Rhodes, former Pennsylvania Secretary of Aging and author of The Essential Guide for Caring for Aging Parents, and Joan Kretschmer, Executive Director and Geriatric Care Manager at Jewish Family Services in York. We're talking about the sandwich generation caregivers, the uh, assistance, the help. Uh, any kind of support out there for caregivers right now. And we'll be talking about uh, an event coming up on uh, Monday in York having to do with uh, caring for mom and dad. Uh, more information on that in just a moment. And, uh, I should tell you that if you have a question or a comment, a story to tell, because there are so many people in this situation, we'd like to hear from you. What are some of the challenges that you faced as a caregiver How did it make you feel? How did it change your life? 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment, maybe tell a story on WITF's Facebook page as well. That's 1-800-729-7532. I have an email here, and I'm going to read it verbatim. It says, oh, please. Now, I don't know if I did a good job with... uh, you know what they were trying to say there oh please this sandwich generation is nothing new when people married and had families much younger and much larger it was often the case that there were three generations living together one needs look at no further than census records from the 1800s and early 1900s to realize that I argue that it's only a very short and recent time period where we did not have sandwich generation due to people marrying later and having smaller families and before life expectancy had increased. Uh, Linda Rhodes, uh, this uh, listener is completely right, exactly right as far as this being nothing new. What is new? I think what's new is, um, you know, what we were talking about earlier is that you've got a good number of people that um, that are facing a situation that it's not just, I, I think, just the two generations or even the three that he's talked about. It's what people are coping with. And, you know, there are a number of things that I think have been feeding into the caregiving crisis, and part of this has been, um, I think, the cost of it. We also have a health care system that is not holistic. I I call it body parts medicine, where 
um, you know, you whatever problem you have, it's, it's, you have to go find a specialist dealing with that body part. So if a older person in their 80s has, you know, 80s and has three chronic conditions, um, you know, they might be having a kidney issue and they're dealing with a nephrologist, a heart issue, it's a cardiologist. I mean, the list goes on and on. And so I think adding to that, and, and the, the, I think the other newer thing is the level of long-distance caregiving uh, that's occurring. I, I grew up uh, on a farm up in Erie, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, really benefited from the multi-generations that he talked about. My, uh, I would spend my summers, actually, we had a cottage on the land, and my great-grandmother would come out and live there in the summers, and I was kind of the, uh, you know, they have those personal emergency response systems, that, you know, the, the alerts that you wear as a pendant. Well, I was that for my great-grandma, so they had me stay with her uh, every night. And then um, her adult children, my grandparents, owned the dairy um, that was on the land, and uh, so I saw them all of the time, and my father... Uh, you know, ran the milk business. And so I, I grew up with, with those generations there, and they also helped, you know, um, you know, watch us kids at different times. And so I think the, the major thing that's so different is you're not finding where all these generations are able to support and, um, you know, be part of each other's lives uh, all in one place. And that's what makes it so different. And I, I know... Um, for myself, dealing with that issue, my, my parents divorced, and that's like 30-some years ago. And so one lives on the farm that I grew up on uh, up in Erie, and he's 96, and he's still able to be in his home. And uh, my mother, we moved from Phoenix, and uh, she's living in assisted living two miles down the street and has a, a real myriad of health problems. Um and that makes it difficult when you're also dealing with long distance. I always kid the doctors that I take either parent to, could you write a prescription telling them they need to remarry? <laughs> it would be so much easier if they were together now. And um, But I, I think that that's one of the, I think, a major thing that, that's made it quite different is the level of long distance caregiving and that the families were, were not as intact uh, as we had been in the past. Uh, Joan, the stakes are higher. Are the stakes higher? Yeah, I would like to acknowledge the caller that you're absolutely right, but the world we live in is different, and the stakes are a lot higher. And we we really need to be smart to, in order to, to protect the well-being of our loved ones. We need to know what resources are available, how much they cost, how to access these resources, <clears throat> and what options are available. In addition to be being better prepared and informed, I've heard from so many people who've been in a crisis mode, which led them to misguided expenses and, in phys and to physical and emotional wear and tear. If you try to do everything yourself, despite the best of intentions, you will most likely get caught in a maze. Between the complexities of government entitlements, primary, primarily Medicare, Medicaid, and the medical, residential, legal, and financial decisions that you must make when you're responsible for your loved one who's elderly, you can't learn what you need to know in time to put it to good use. Each aspect of elder care exists in its own silo. We live in a very siloed world, and experts in one often know little about the others, and you need that help. We need to acknowledge that all the challenges that exist today are distinctly unique to the time we live in. Yeah, and, you know, something else that, you know, we haven't talked a whole lot about so far because 
and, and I think it brings up a, a, a really good point is that when you are living in this situation, if uh, you're parents, older parents, have health issues and have to deal with what you're talking about, the navigation part of it, do the kids get neglected? What about the attention to the to the kids? I mean, if you're talking about kids under the age of 10 or even teenagers, do they not get as much attention as they would because of all the things that uh, the caregivers having to do with the with the older parents? What do you, what do you think, Joan? Well, I, I'm thinking a couple of things. First of all, I like I know there are challenges for the caregivers in terms of their workplace environments, and we have you know, often employers uh, provide employee assistance programs. <clears throat> um, I would love to see more and more companies provide elder care assistance, so that this is actually affordable for a larger group of people, because this is something that's so desperately needed. In terms of how it impacts um, children of all ages, including adult children or young adult children who might even be back into the, the household. That's a totally uh, other subject, you know. We'll have to bring that up. Right. Too. <laughs> but I, I think I wanted to just emphasize how much of a learning environment it creates that is critical for life skills. And one of the things that I, I really feel passionate about is we come to our caregiving role based on what we learned ourselves and what was the traditions in our own families. And in some ways, we can be the best mentor to our children to show them how we respect and care for our elders and how we learn to figure out how to make it work and how we how we patiently work together as a family. Let's take some phone calls. Deb is in Harrisburg. Deb, you're on the air. Hi, Scott. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad that you mentioned the children. Um, younger children is almost a different issue, but it's not. I think that, you know, if you look at the baby boomer generation and our children, um, we've sort of coddled them and created, in, in this instance, in the sandwich generation that you're calling it, uh, we've created uh, more responsibility than we need to. And I'd like to see the caregivers uh, take a step back and realize that we don't need to be caring for, I mean, they may come home and they may be in college and whatever, but we don't need to be caring for 16, 17, 20-year-old children. They're adults and they need to be learning to care for themselves and, in fact, helping us care for the elderly members of the family. The younger children... I agree with the previous person that was speaking that, you know, it's ha that's how they learn to care for their family, by helping us care for our, our elderly. But I think I've seen more often than not uh, caregivers trying to juggle everything and taking on more responsibility than they need to, and that's going to lead to quicker burnout and them not being able to care for anybody at all. Thank you very much for your call, Deb. Linda, what do you think? Oh, I, I think she makes a good point that, um, you know, part of this really is a, a learning experience for our um, children, and especially as they're, they're in those uh, teenage years and, you know, as they're young adults in, in their 20s, and that, um, you know, I think sometimes we'll, we'll look at caregiving and, it's, um, you know, we're always just seeing the challenges of it, but there, there are tremendous, I think, gifts um, as part of that, and I, I know that's something that, um, 
I, I've certainly taught my children and, you know, actually had them involved in doing volunteer work. Um, I think it was at the Jewish home when I was Secretary of Aging in, in Harrisburg, and um, because I felt it was very important for them to, to see the, um, I mean, it, much of the strength and the wisdom that comes from an older generation, and so that they would see that. And I, I think she makes the point, too, as being a baby boomer, um, it's kind of a... I, I, sometimes refer to us as kind of the, the fix-it generation. We go in, you know, look what the problem is, and we want to fix it and kind of take control. Mm. And I think part of that is, is that we, we do need to um, provide opportunities for our children to um, become you know, involved in that caregiving, too. This isn't just something that mom is supposed to do all by herself. And just to follow up on that, uh, big news uh, came out last week from the Pew Research Center that showed for the very first time that adult children, more adult children were living with their parents than were actually married. Uh, so, you know, it was, uh, we, we've gone some, some through some real societal changes, and that's in a certain age group, I should say. Uh, let's take another phone call from Catherine in Harrisburg. Catherine, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Um, I was just listening to the woman from uh, the former Department of Aging. We're dealing with a caseworker right now. We just got a phone call yesterday saying you have to make a decision of where you're going to uh, place loved one. And uh, we're trying to figure that out. And like you said, the caseworker's ultimate uh, job is to, you know, do the discharge. Who is the objective person or party that we could contact to make sure that we're covering our bases and getting the proper standard of care that we're looking for? Joan, uh, uh, Catherine, let me keep you on the line. Joan, you had talked about this earlier about, uh, you know, those caseworkers, those people in the hospital having to discharge. How, how would you answer Catherine's question? Well, I would answer it broadly in terms of uh, what resources you have. Um, um, geriatric care management, which was more commonly called these days elder care management, is not covered by insurance. But if your workplace covers you through your employee assistance plan for elder care, then you have access to a professional um, expert in this area to help guide you. You can also ask for um, resources within your local area through your area agency on aging, or you can, um, so there are resources that exist. I think it's important to know what questions to ask, um, and I think there are lots of resources which will tell you what kinds of questions to ask regarding placement. Well, um, where can she get some of those resources? Well, I think you can, uh, you can, you can Google that. I know, um, I, I, hadn't read any of Linda's materials, but I think she has some excellent templates and resources and checklists for what questions you need to ask. So when you're receiving, like, you need to make a decision. Right. So help me through that decision-making process. Tell me about the certifications of this facility, the staff ratio to patient. There are so many good questions to do your due diligence to be able to make an informed decision that you're going to be comfortable with. So there really are resources, and there's many things online. Um, 
Sometimes that's overwhelming, though. You need somebody to guide you through those resources, and that's why I'm right. really promoting having a third party to talk to, such as myself or an equivalent in, in your local community. Hey, Linda, and you're right. The Navigating Elder Care, a practical guide for informal and family caregivers. And by the way, we have a link on our website, WITF.org. Catherine, if you go to our website, WITF.org, we have a link to Linda Rhodes' uh, uh, the book and the question that uh, Jen was talking about. Linda, I can hear you chomping at the bit there. <laughs> well, yeah, there, you could also ask for, I mean, every hospital, they have to have a, a, a patient advocate. Um, I mean, so you're, you're talking to the case manager right now, and so they're going to be giving you this list and go through that. So you could ask to talk to the patient advocate, who is supposed to be a bit more objective, but as Joan said, they, they work for the, the health system and begin to start asking them some of um, the questions, one of which would be, uh, I would want to know, is your loved one under observational status or inpatient? And the reason you're wanting to know that is that um, with Medicare, you have to have, it's, it's a three nights um, where you're as an inpatient, and uh, that way, when you are using then, well, probably going to a rehab facility or to skilled nursing, then that will be covered. I mean, it's a short-term uh, coverage, but at least it will be covered. If you're considered under observation, uh, then it will not. So you, you want to ask that question. Another thing I think families should know is that um, when you talk to that patient advocate, you can ask them for the phone number of um, the group that you would call to appeal what you might consider an early discharge. A hospital has to make sure that that discharge is safe uh, and, um, you know, so that if you're out there looking at these facilities, uh, and I know on, on my website there's a, everything's free on that other than if you, if you get the book, but it'll have, like, a whole list of questions to ask. Uh, when you're looking at uh, skilled nursing facilities, and there's plenty of, as, as Joan said, um, you can go on Medicare.gov, and you can go, and it'll be Nursing Home Compare, and you're able to look at um, either Medicare gives, I believe it's up to a five-star rating, uh, and you'll be able to look at the, the survey report. So um, I know that's a lot, but I would definitely reach out and find out, well, who is that patient advocate? And I want to know, is my parent under observation or inpatient? Catherine, thank you very much for your call. Uh, a lot of information there. And as I said, uh, we have a lot of links on our website, WITF.org, to uh, provide some help. And this is probably a good time to mention that uh, Caring for Mom or Dad, we have a number of events, and it's tied into Mother's and Father's Day, but uh, WITF Transforming Health aims to connect our audiences to local caregiving resources here in Central Pennsylvania. We're having a series of caregiving workshops with information, uh, professional advice, and opportunities to talk about it. And uh, you can join us for one Monday. In fact, join uh, Joan is uh, I don't know if I'm saying you're hosting, but you're actually you're a big part of this Monday. Each event will open with a screening of select clips from the documentary, the PBS documentary, Caring for Mom and Dad, followed by a special keynote address. You're doing the keynote address, right? That's correct. Right, on the keynote address, uh, Monday, followed by two breakout sessions. Attendees can attend both sessions, connect with local 
local caregiving expertise and resources. Um, that's Monday, June 6th at the Jewish Community Center in York. They'll be talking about advanced planning. Uh, there will be free legal services and resources. So I encourage you to, if you're in this situation and you're looking for some, for some support and uh, being able to answer some questions or ask some questions, I should say, uh, that is at the Jewish Community Center in York. What's the address? Uh, 2000 Hollywood Drive in New York. Okay. Uh, that is supported by Penn State Health, Wellspan Health. Uh, the event is supported by Messiah Lifeways. You're listening to WITF's uh, Smart Talk. Uh, WITF is your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking with Dr. Linda Rhodes, former Pennsylvania Secretary of Aging and author of The Essential Guide for Caring for Aging Parents. Joan Kretschmer is Executive Director and Geriatric Care Manager at Jewish Family Services in New York. We welcome your questions and comments, maybe your stories or experiences. Call us 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You also can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, the phone number is one 800 729 Joan, you just mentioned to me during the break something that you wanted to follow up on that it's, uh, you felt is very important. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on the last caller, which had a very important, specific question. And I just want to emphasize how this is the beginning of many other questions that are going to occur. And this is this is not linear. This is not solu- just one s- solution-focused answer. And that it is a really fluid process. And it is important to begin to gather the resources and information and to partner with somebody who can help guide you through the maze. Because if somebody is going to be going to a facility, then that opens a whole new chapter and a whole new, new challenges. Mm-hmm. All right, let's take a phone call from Heidi. Is this Heidi? Am I on the... Heidi, is this you? Yes, I'm here. Okay, there you go. Uh, what's your question or comment? Uh, well, first, I just want to thank Linda and Joan for uh, the information they're providing for us today. Um, I've been a caregiver for the last 10, ten years, and um, I am literally in the heat of caregiving every single day. Um, caregiving is, is a, a big challenge, I think, especially for families. And because you have different funding sources... Um, you know, sometimes I feel families really feel um, like they need that support that Joan's talking about. You know, I deal with private pay clients. I deal with what they call PDA clients, which comes from the Pennsylvania Department of Aging. And just last week I was at Drexel University, um, and I attended the public hearings and presented my um, just my comments about how we need to bridge the gap between the non-medical caregiving and the medical caregiving. Because oftentimes, caregiving starts before someone gets to skilled nursing or rehab. And the families out there really are struggling. You get so so much information about, you know, being a parent, going to school. But oftentimes, by the time you get to having to, you know, provide care for your your loved ones, your parents, maybe your aunt or your uncle, um, it is a, a maze, an overwhelming maze. So what I've done is I've started something called the CMI, Senior Referral Network, and it's basically where I sit down with someone and I say, hey, you know, where is your loved one at? How can we improve the quality of your your loved one's life? And I think for the family member, just having one person to sit down and not go through the, you know, overall bureaucratic um, 
intakes that are so necessary for so many different people who need services, I think that really is reassuring for them because it gives them an opportunity to break down the different issues. You know, it's, it's what I call right now the, the, um, the aging silence, and those two issues have got to be, in my opinion, incontinence and Alzheimer's. Mm. And those two issues are very, very overwhelming for families to deal with. Oh, absolutely. Heidi, hey, thank you very much for your call, and thank you for uh, the, the services that, uh, that you're, you're rendering there. Thank you very much. Linda, what do you th- say to that? Well, I, I'll tell you the one thing that Heidi just mentioned about incontinence. Um, this was a long time ago, but uh, I had, uh, me had taken in, it was my uh, husband's grandmother, and I was pregnant with my first child at the time. And, uh, I mean, it was great to be able to bring Matthew home to his great-grandma. I mean, her bedroom was right next to his. And um, But after a while, she started to suffer uh, a number of TIAs, and then um, she became incontinent. And, I, I mean, I and that was before you could go off and buy, attend, you know, all the different briefs that are out there now for incontinence, um, it, you know, in the grocery aisle. I had to go to friends who... Um, had a, you know, a nursing home to go get them, and um, and I, I just remember, I mean, and here this was my field, and I was trying to, you know, provide all of this care, and, you know, as soon as I'm getting Matthew to sleep through the night, now all of a sudden grandma's up through the night, and, um, you know, it took a, a, a couple of friends who just finally pulled me aside and said, you know, you need the intervention here, Linda, because you can't keep up with all of this, and, and I remember how much the incontinence um, really made things difficult, because, uh Grandma, by the time I would wake up in the in the morning, um, she found a way to always um, pull them apart. She was like 96 at the time, and uh, you know, so it was quite a um, a mess, you know, to to clean that up every morning. And then, I mean, I just found myself, you know, changing Matthew, changing Grandma, um, and, and find it very wearing and it wasn't until for quite a long time because I would get so upset like why is she taking these apart every single day and she was born down south and she had actually worked in cotton fields and so you know one day I asked her I could see her doing something with her hands and and, you know finally she said yeah I'm picking cotton and so I was like oh okay that finally made sense but I, I think the reason I share this is that not until I had gone through that experience. Um, it's just that kind of wear and tear. And then, um, you know, like Heidi said, to start reaching out, there is non-medical senior care. Where agencies are providing the, you know, care that they can come in, they can provide companionship, they can assist with um, the caregiving without doing anything in the nursing care. And that is real critical to use. And oftentimes you'll find you know, perhaps an older spouse will say, oh, well, I can do all this. I don't want to spend the money and have urged families and siblings to, you know, to get together and, you know, give them that as a gift because it's that kind of, that sort of wear and tear um, that is something that you certainly can help um, whoever is providing that care on the ground. And especially if your siblings that are out of town does not mean you can't be involved. You could be the one to make all of the calls um, that are related to insurance. You can help juggle the, you know, the schedule of doctor's appointments. There's a lot you can do without, you know, being there on the ground. And, um, but, but I think oftentimes, too, I find with caregivers is that you get so used to doing, um, 
it yourself or you think, oh, gosh, you know, only I only know how to really approach mom um, or, or dad that you kind of get into, um, you know, a, a, this, this you know, kind of feeling like, well, it's only me. I'm the only one that can do it. And I think Joan said that very early on. Th- this is not a solo act. Mm-hmm. You will go down yourself mm-hmm. if, if you go down that path. Well, Joan, you wanted to follow up on that? Yeah, I just wanted to talk in more general terms in terms of oftentimes in caregiving situations, people are isolated in their own households, they're under the radar, they're invisible to the general public, and we live in a very youth-oriented culture, and we all have will have, if we haven't already, will face caregiving roles. And we need to, on a daily basis, be conscious of how we can begin to shift and shape the culture that acknowledges, recognizes, and, and works to improve the health care needs of the most vulnerable people in, in, in our society and to support the caregivers because one of the things we really haven't talked a no. lot about is the burnout of the caregivers and how if that person is in a key pivotal role, how much they need to take heed to self-care because if they can't be there, then what happens? Well, we have an email here and it's a, it's a lengthy one, but I want to read it because it goes exactly into what you're talking about, Joan, and what I wanted to lead into next, and that is resources available for caregivers. This is Jennifer who says, I'm in my late 40s caring for my parents who are in their 70s and my two, my two children who are college age. My father is losing his ability to walk. He is not a surgical candidate because he has alcohol-related cirrhosis of the liver. My mother's approaching her second total knee replacement in July and has difficulty walking, uh, hopefully rectified by surgery. They are both fall risk and bleed risk, one because of liver, one because of comedon. How is that pronounced? Comedon. Coumadin, yeah, it's the high blood pressure medicine, right? Uh, There are numerous uh, medications for both to be given day and night. My mom is a retired RN and has the meds organized well. I moved in with them in February of this year. I am at a loss as to how to make the situation work, especially when my mom has her surgery. My two children... Uh, are in college out of state or home, are home for the summer. They're great students, but still not independent. They are learning to care for themselves and help out, but they are not independent. I financially support them and morally support them. I do feel burned out. I work two jobs, one that requires me to be in the office, the other I can work from home in the evenings. I'm open to suggestions as to how to manage this load of responsibility and still maintain my sanity and quality of life. That's a lot, Linda, and I can feel for exactly what kind of uh, advice would you give her? I think Joan is a geriatric care manager. Go for it. All right, Joan, go ahead. Well, I think that it's really, really important to know that you can you can talk to somebody and to, you know, it's very cathartic to be able to address this situation beyond that email, to have someone who can listen to you, to help maybe reframe the conversation, to help you explore ways in which you can release some of the, the pressures on you, uh, to find others in similar situations who can talk to you about their experiences and validate your concerns and help you also, because we learn from the experience of others. So I think that that's really, really important. We need to find out about what resources and services exist. Oftentimes they talk about um, 
you know, respite care, giving people time away to take care of themselves, even if it's one or two hours or an hour, um, having somebody just to talk to you, talk to yourself for your own mental health needs. You know, we talked about the issues related to the parents and the issues related to the children. What about the emotionally charged issues of being in midlife? and what you see down the road, what you've experienced, what you may be reliving related to some triggers from your own childhood about things um, that might have um, been difficult for you to cope with or challenging for you to cope with. So I think there are a whole host of issues and having the opportunity to have to partner and to have resources um, is just critical. And I guess, and I think we asked this question earlier, but uh, it, it sounds as if going online, you used to say go to the the, the phone book, but we don't do that anymore. Um, but going online, under if you want to Google something or look for some resources, what words do you put in? I mean, what do you do to, because obviously, you know, she's from Hershey, but uh, you want to do something locally. What do you put in? What do you Google? Uh Go ahead, George. No, I was just going to say that, you know, I'm sure, you know, in terms of uh, Linda's resources and website, I'm a member of the Aging Life Care Association, which is comprised of professionals um, throughout the country. And they have a website and they have resources online and then they can connect you to people in your local area. So I think there are tremendous amount of resources but what's missing is that personal contact because uh, when you it, it just helps to have somebody help you navigate through things yeah just reading about it you're saying is not the best answer well it helps but it hel- it's it's always a help and it's always a great resource but it's really important to connect to somebody and have the opportunity to communicate um and i you know i don't recall all of the particulars, but one of the things that's so important, communication is key at all levels, other family members having that conversation. I have a coworker who is one of five or six children. They have uh, regular conference calls as a family regarding who does what in terms of helping care for their parent because it is a shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Linda, what were right, you going to say? That's one of the things that... Um, you know, I'd want to know from you know from her email. I mean, does she have siblings? I mean, who else? Um, you know, does she have a spouse? Are there others that are close to her, and how you know they might be able to assist with this? And um, or you know, for for some folks, they might not be able to afford um, hiring someone to work with them. But you know, the faith-based community, oftentimes, you don't even have to be a member of the synagogue, of the congregation, um, to receive some services as well, or to be able to, to talk um, this through. I mean, she certainly has, I think, the added, um, you know, e- emotional journey there. Um, she said, you know, with her father with alcoholism, which, you know, creates a whole host of, I think, other, other issues, um, you know, that families are, are certainly going to go through, um, you know, as they, as they watch him deteriorate and grapple with all these different health issues. So, um, and there is, I mean, uh, you know, the, the Area Agency on Aging, they do have some family caregiver support programs, um, and I'm sure there'll be the 800 number on your website, but it's, it's 800-677-1116. It's called Elder Care Locator. 
So no matter where you live um, throughout the country, you can call that number, and then they'll give you the local number um, that you can call. I think sometimes they even pass you through. So, um, you know, what, what she's doing is, um, I can see why she's saying, I don't want to lose my mind through all of this um, in terms of, I mean, here's this individual that's not just uh, supporting two with their different issues. Uh, you know, she's also looking at um, the financial support of um, kids through college, and I, I think that's something that we're seeing um, that, that's newer um, when uh, with the generations is that so many of our young people today are saddled with so much college debt, and so you're finding baby boomers who are opting to work longer, which I think is a generation that's probably going to do that anyway, but I've talked to a number of friends who are continuing working because they're able to draw um, more of the money in than what their, um, you know, the 30-somethings are um, because of the, uh, really, I mean, I think we're still feeling the effects of the Great Recession, and I think I heard something recently on NPR where um, this, the, the new crop of students graduating from college are having even one of the most difficult times in trying to find jobs after college. And so you have all this debt that actually affects an entire family, and you're trying to help the, the generations get out of that debt um, so that they can go ahead and support their families. Hey, Lynn, let me interrupt. We have about two minutes. I want to ask each of you, but we did have a caller who wasn't able to get on the air, and I wanted to bring this up. He wanted to disagree with an earlier caller talking about the challenges that uh, today's young people, today's teenagers, and the college-age uh, children that you just were referring to, that the challenges are very different than that uh, time earlier that a, a listener had mentioned with the multi-generational families, that uh, you know, time that uh, things are a little bit different today. Now we actually have about 90 seconds. Linda, in uh, 45 seconds, what kind of advice would you give caregivers, people in this situation? I think one of the first things is just you've got to get organized because this is going to um, feel so out of control very quickly. And it is reaching out. And if it's on the Internet, um, that's one resource. Um, get a few books. There's good books out there now on navigating this whole uh, elder care maze. Uh, work with your siblings, find out, you know, each one has a different skill set and organize, you know, a family meeting so that um, you start parceling out all of the different things that um, your loved one needs. And so this becomes a much more shared responsibility. And if hey, you can reach out, go ahead. All right. I was going to say, I wanted to get Joan in here in about 40 seconds, too. Have an open and honest dialogue with the people you're caring for. Um, let them know that you're there to support them and work with them. Build a team for yourself with family members and other care providers. And there are resources to help people access actually somebody who can help them navigate without going into details. It's important to do all of this so you can be the best advocate for your loved one. Uh, Linda Rhodes, former Secretary of Education, author of The Essential Guide for Caring for Aged Parents. Joan Kretschmer, Executive Director and Geriatric Care Manager at Jewish Family Services in York. Thank both of you for being with us today.